on with that. Genesis 3, in your Bibles this morning, Genesis chapter number 3. We're going to begin a new series within our Heart for God theme uh, this week. And um, uh, we have all of the series on Sunday mornings broken down uh, under um, one of two thoughts. Uh, the first thought is walking with God, our, our walk with God. And the second thought is our work for God. Uh, the, the series we're on right now falls underneath that umbrella of our work for God. And uh, we're going to be looking over the next four weeks about how we can better work for God, or rather our motivation to work for God. Once you found Genesis 3, let's stand for the reading of God's Word, if you're so able to do so. And uh, we're going to begin uh, in verse 9, read down through verse 12. And as is our custom, we will read those responsively. I'll begin in 9, we'll begin together in verse 10. The Bible says, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Together. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee, that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. We're going to begin looking at a series entitled His Compassion. Why is it that we should work for God? Because His compassion is so rich and so real. He pours it on us. Uh, the title of the message this morning is this, Our Canceled Brokenness. Our Canceled Brokenness. How many of you have lived life long enough to see brokenness? Either in you or around you or both. Amen? God's compassion comes down and it fixes, it, it cancels that brokenness. Sometimes not right here on earth, not right now, but in eternity our brokenness is canceled. Amen? We're going to look at that thought this morning in great depth, and I hope that your heart will be stirred and warmed and encouraged to work for God as you understand what He had to go through in order to cancel that brokenness. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for the Bible. Thank You that it is relevant to who we are today, where we live today. Truth is timeless. Truth never goes out of fashion. Truth is always under attack, but truth cannot be broken. And Lord, sometimes truth hurts our feelings, but truth is what we need. And so, Lord, help us today to cling to truth. Your word is truth. Truth sanctifies us. Truth sets us apart. Truth puts us on a path to live and do what's right. And so, God, help us today to have a heart that's bent toward and leaning toward truth. And where there's error in our heart, may we deal with it and address it. And may we be better because of it. Help us today. Give us attention. Help us to set the cares and struggles of this world to the side. And for just a few moments, be dialed into your word and the truths that you have in store. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This calendar year, we are working together as a church to develop a heart for God, a heart for God. Our goal both as a church corporately and individually is to develop a deep connection with our God that both made us and saved us. So there are two ways, two ways in which a heart for God is exercised. A man or woman who has a heart for God, first of all, walks with God, walks with God. You cannot say that you have a heart for God if you never spend time with God. Uh, there is a deep, ongoing relationship between this Christian who has a heart for God 
and his God. There is, uh, this is a believer who is passionate, passionate about the things of God. Uh, a person who has a heart for God is passionate about obeying God. They are passionate about the Word of God. They are passionate about praising God. They are passionate about worshiping God. To have a heart for God is not just communing with, uh, uh, with God in sweet fellowship. No, there is more to it than just walking with God. If you have a heart for God, walking with God is only 50% of the equation. A man or woman who has a heart for God also works for God, works for God. Uh, my wife and I walk together through life. In a sense, you could say that I walk with Angela and Angela walks with me. We enjoy each other's company. Uh, we enjoy sharing our heart and daily events with each other. I've known Angela next month for 17 years and uh, we have developed quite a deep kinship, quite a deep friendship. Uh, imagine if Angela said to me, Richard, I have a heart uh, that pursues your heart and I'm willing to listen to you and I'm even willing to talk to you, but don't expect me to lift one finger to do anything to help you. Oh, and if I do lift a finger, it will be on my schedule when I want to do it on my terms and you would better be okay with that. But I'll talk to you, and I'll listen to you. A lot of Christians read their Bible and pray. They talk to God and they listen to God, but they're only going to work for God on their terms, not on God's terms. You would say, if that's her attitude, then she does not have a heart for you. She has a heart for herself. And you'd be right. Many Christians have a deep walk with God. They read their Bibles every day. They pray on a regular basis. But they do not and will not work for the Lord. Why should we work for God? What is it that should be the catalyst or the driving force that motivates us to step outside of what is convenient, what is comfortable, and do the Lord's work? Well, the response might come across as underwhelming, but I think over the next four weeks, as we unearth what this term means, boy, it ought to really stir your heart, and instead of being underwhelming, it'll become overwhelming. Simply put, the catalyst for working for God is His compassion. To those who were born again, God has reached down and redeemed you from the sloppiness of sin, he has saved you from the destination of hell. He has paid the debt he did not owe because you owed a debt that you could not pay. He has canceled hell as your final destination and changed that out for a heaven that is perfect in every way. God's love is so rich. God's love is so deep. God's love is so real. That when you fully uh, realize just how much God cares for you, then you cannot help but walk with Him and you cannot help but work for Him. I propose the reason so many struggle to do the work of God is because they do not fully grasp in either their head or their heart, or both, all that God has done for them in, in canceling their eternal brokenness that comes from sin and pain. And it's possible 
that some here have never truly experienced salvation. It's possible that some here have never actually put their faith in Christ, in Christ alone, to be saved. You understand that Satan wants so bad to convince you that you have something to do with your own salvation. I heard a preacher say one time, he said, if you get to the gate of heaven and they ask you why they should let you into heaven, if your response is, because I, then you've already got it wrong. It's not because you anything. Because I was a good person. Because I was baptized. Because I went to church. Because I believed. No. No. Believing gets us into heaven. But the emphasis is on because I. You've got it all wrong. You see, salvation is because of Him. Because of what He did. Because you have believed in Him to save your soul. Maybe many of us don't know how to walk with God and work for God because we've never truly been saved. We're going to look at three principal thoughts this morning as we begin a new series of sermons dwelling on our work for God as we look at the compassion of God and consider this sermon titled, Our Cancelled Brokenness. All right, you got a bulletin on the way in. Get those out. On the back is a fill-in-the-blank outline. Take notes with me as we go. This gives you an opportunity to review later. Go back and let your heart commune with God over the message this morning. Number one, point number one, we're looking at this concept of canceled brokenness. Let's focus on the thought of the brokenness first. Number one, notice sin's consequences. Sin's consequences. To fully understand human brokenness, Let's go back and look at the first man and first woman and see where sin first hurt humanity. Go back with me to Genesis 3 and look down at verse number 1. Before we read this passage, I just want to just make this very clear. I believe in the literal account of the book of Genesis. I believe that Adam was God's first creation of man. I believe that Eve was the first creation of of woman. I believe they had the first marriage. I don't believe there was humanity that existed around them or before them. I believe that when God says that the first man was Adam, this is not metaphorical. This is literal. And God did create the world in six literal days. And here we have the first man and the first woman created in the image and likeness of God. Mankind is God's chief creation. Marriage God made. Uh, By the way, God made marriage. Man did not make marriage. And so God gets to define marriage. Man does not get to define marriage. God made sexuality. God gets to define sexuality. I know that's not popular in today's culture. And I know that's not being taught in our schools. But God's Word has been around forever and is timeless. And truth is timeless. God made marriage. God made sexuality. God gave that to mankind. And and God has a plan for it. And here we find Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They are perfect. They are innocent. They don't know what sin is. They don't know what evil is. They don't know, but they're about to find out. Look at verse number 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. This is a serpent that's been possessed by Satan, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Satan loves to put a question mark where God puts a period. 
And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, flat out lie. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Here Satan is using the tactic of mixing truth and lie, a part truth, but not a whole truth. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the eyes, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, or rather the first one was lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, that's the pride of life, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. What happened here? God gave Adam and Eve one rule. One rule. Someone said, well, why did God have to give them a rule? Because God did not want Adam and Eve to be robots. He gave them a moral choice because he did not want them to walk around and do what was right out of, out of elimination of possibilities. There needed to be the possibility for Adam and Eve to do wrong so that every day they'd walk past that tree and do right. They could please God and not be a, just a robot. And so Adam and Eve had walked by this tree many days. They were perfect in every way. They had never done anything wrong. They were morally clean. They were morally pure. They'd walk past this tree. Satan, having a, vengeance, uh, a vengeful heart toward God, slithers up to to Eve and convinces Eve to take that fruit and eat it. She then brings that to Adam and Adam eats the fruit and now they have broken God's moral law. They have transgressed in an area of morality they did not belong. They are now sinful and they have brought sin and its pain and its brokenness down on top of themselves and all future children including our us. Sin breaks things. Satan took a baseball bat in this story, if you will, and he went into God's china cabinet and he broke God's most prized possession. He was able to convince mankind and womankind to break the laws of God and bring a sin curse upon our own heads as well as the planet on which we have dominion and rule. Have you ever had a child come to you with a broken toy that cannot be fixed? Sin came into the world through Adam and Eve and broke a whole lot of things. What does sin break? Well, let me give you five things that I believe sin breaks. Letter A, notice broken figures. Broken figures. And in parentheses, you can put down people. I needed figures because everything else starts with an F. Amen? Broken figures. Look with me at Genesis 3 and look at verse number 11. The Bible says, And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree, whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Adam became a broken man when he chose to go against God and his law. Adam gave into a fleshly appetite, and now all men struggle with less of the flesh as a result. Adam enjoyed work prior to sinning, but laziness and hardship of labor became part of Adam's nature. What about Eve? Well, she was just as broken as Adam as a result of her sin. Eve had to endure the physical pain of childbirth, 
and all of the processes that are, are involved with it. Eve was taken from Adam's side, and, and in the Garden of Eden, uh, Eve was Adam's equal in every way. But once she fell, Genesis 3 it makes it very clear that Adam became Eve's authority as a result of sin. Prior to sin, Adam and Eve had a very theo, uh, theoretical understanding of sin and what it was. Afterwards, they felt full well knew good and evil. And this knowledge of evil and capacity to perform it has caused great brokenness to figures all throughout human history. Letter A, broken figures. Letter B, notice broken faith. Broken faith. Turn over to Genesis 4. Not only does sin break each human person, sin has broken down the faith that reunites those sinners back to God. Look at Genesis 4, look at verse number 1. And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstling of the flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel in his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had no respect. We'll finish verse 5 here momentarily. What, what's going on here? Now, I want to be very clear that God gave Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden as He's rebuking them for sin. He kicked them out of the Garden of Eden. But we'll see in a few minutes, He took a, an animal and he, he clothed them by slaying that animal and showed them the process by which redemption would come. It was promised to Eve that one day her, her, her foot would crush the head of the serpent through a childbearing and a, and a child would be born that would deliver them from their sins and that these animal sacrifices that were offered up was a symbol of their faith in a coming Messiah to save them from their sin. And so uh, ritually they would build an altar and they would lay an animal up on that altar. They would slay that animal as a symbol of death, uh, uh, the, the death of a Messiah who would come. So the day of sacrifice came. Cain had clear his instructions of bringing a lamb. Abel had clear his instructions of bringing a lamb. So Abel goes and he gets the chiefest uh, uh, lamb in his flock and he brings that and he does exactly what he's taught by his parents, exactly what he's supposed to do. He exercises his faith for salvation. Cain, on the other hand, he's a tiller of the ground, so he pulls down his best fruits and he plucks up his best vegetables and he brings the works of his hands to God and says, my faith is in myself. You see what's going on here? Sin has broken Cain's faith. Works-based salvation is found in the fourth chapter of the Bible. Cain brings his works and says, here, God, here are my works to get in, to, 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 in order uh, to be accepted by you. And God says, I'm sorry, I'm not going to accept that. And what has Satan done today? Satan has used religious desire in the heart of man that God put there, and he has convinced mankind and womankind all over the world that if they can be good enough, if they can work hard enough, if they can be holy enough, then somehow God will forgive them and let them into heaven. You know what they're doing? They're following the example of Cain. 
It's a broken faith. Sin breaks things. You see, before sin, Adam and Eve just naturally believed in God. There was no skepticism in their heart. There was no struggle to accept that God's way was best. There was no questioning or, or, or doubting God. They just simply believed God. Sin comes along, and now Cain has a hard time believing God. Cain has a hard time uh, following God's plan of redemption. Cain now is lifted up in pride because fa- uh, uh, sin breaks things. It breaks figures. It breaks faith. Let her see. Notice it breaks feelings, broken feelings, broken feelings. Well, now God has had to chide Cain because he's brought the wrong offering. Look at verse Number five, someone argue, well, maybe Cain didn't know better. Well, God's going to come down and make sure that Cain knows better, and it's just not really going to matter. Look at verse five. But unto Cain and to his offering, he, God, had no respect. How did Cain respond to God's rejection of his offering? Look at the rest of the verse. And Cain, look here, was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. There's a lamb laying at your door, a sacrifice there. And unto thee shall be his, Abel's desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Sin had not only broken Adam and Eve, broken mankind individually. Sin has not only broken faith, sin has now broken the emotional state of mankind. Did you know that before sin, mankind never got angry? Did you know that before sin, mankind never experienced a whole array of emotions that we deal with now? Prior to sin, there was no anxiety or depression. There was no discouragement or loneliness. I am not saying that every one of these emotions are a sin every time. But I am saying that all of these feelings come as a result of sin and our broken, fragile, emotional state. I look around at a world filled with broken people. I look around at a world that leans heavy on drugs. Both pharmaceutical drugs, alcohol street drugs. These people lean heavy on these drugs in order to get by and bury the emotional hurts for just one more day. Just one more day. Get me by one more day. One more day. I'll hit this joint. Just get me by one more day. I'll, I'll, I'll down this whiskey. Just get me by one more day. I'll I'll run to my nicotine, just get me by one more day. I've got my opioids, I've got my pills, and I'll run to the doctor and I'll say what I need you to get more. And listen, I'm not throwing stones at people on drugs this morning, but what I'm more highlighting is that folks are broken, their feelings are broken, they deal with hurt on a level that is is, is only a result of sin and, and, the, and the hardships of sin. And, and I look at people and I say we're broken people, sin has broken broken us. It's broken uh, who we are. It's broken our faith in God. It's broken our feelings. And I see a world filled with all sorts of emotional struggle because of sin. What are sin's consequences? Broken figures, broken faith, broken feelings. Letter D, notice broken families. Broken families. Look at verse number 8. Genesis chapter 4, verse 8. So we know the narrative here. God has accepted Abel's sacrifice. He's rejected 
Cain's sacrifice. And uh, God has instructed Cain what he needs to do to get his uh, sacrifice accepted. And, and, and Cain now looks at his brother and he becomes jealous. And that jealousy leads to envy. And now he's going to take out his anger on his brother. Verse 8, we find the first murder in the Bible. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. Oh, can you imagine the pain? Cain murdered his little brother. I've got two children. I cannot imagine the heartache and hurt if one of my children were to murder their sibling. Can't even begin to imagine. Most family units today are dysfunctional. Why? Because of sin. Sin breaks families. I see children who will not obey their parents. I see parents who either neglect or abuse their children. I see brothers and sisters who bicker and argue. And I'm talking about adult brothers and sisters who bicker and argue over money. I see adult children who have little to no relationship with their parents. I see husbands who cheat on their wives and wives who cheat on their husbands. Going all the way back to the first family, Satan has done a great job of breaking down and hurting the family unit. What does sin do? Sin breaks things. Sin is that baseball bat in that china cabinet smashing everything good and God glorifying in sight. Broken figures, broken faith, broken feelings, broken families. Letter E, notice broken futures. Broken futures. Look at verse number 9. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? Let me just pause here and insert this. God is really good in the first two chapters, last two chapters, Genesis 3 and 4. God is really good at asking obvious open ended questions, is he not? Why are you hiding, Adam? Did God know why Adam was hiding? Cain. What have you done? Did God know what Cain had done? Sometimes open-ended questions that cause us to look hard in the mirror at ourselves are good. Verse number 10, and he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. You read on down, you find out that Cain, who was made by God to be a farmer, would no longer be able to farm. You know what happened to Cain's future because of his sin? He broke his future. Furthermore, God told him, Cain, you will not, you will be a vagabond the rest of your life. You will be on the run and no one will have anything to do with you. Cain would eventually convince a woman to marry him. 
Cain would eventually have kids and start a city, but they would be the rejects. They would be pushed out. Their future, his future, would be limited and brought down because of the sinful choices that he had made. Please understand that what I'm about to say, I say from a point of compassion. But I look at the world today and I see people who come from generations of brokenness. They're wandering through life with a low IQ. Many of them addicted to drugs. They seem to to have a broken future with no real hope or help in sight. My heart hurts for them. My heart hurts for them. In my 38 years of being in church, many of them have been involved on a church bus route. And I've walked around many inner cities. And I've had many conversations with people that were nonsensical. Nonsensical. People who can't put two thoughts together. They can't put two sentences together. And these are people, some of them... I think they're probably sober at the moment. Oh, I'm not saying this is everyone, but I'm saying people like this are out there. Do you understand this was not God's intent for mankind when he made Adam and Eve? When I have a conversation like that, my heart breaks. Mankind has chosen sin. As a result, we have seen that baseball bat come through and break down the very people God originally wanted us to be. Broken futures. I wonder how many in the room here today would look at their life and say, I'm on God's plan B for me. God's plan B. Plan A, if I had gotten saved at a young age or if I would given my heart to the Lord earlier on, I had not been so rebellious. It would have been a different future. But my sin broke that future. Let me just say to those of you that are in that spot before we move on, God's plan B is still greater than rebellion and sin. God's plan B is pretty great. And instead of looking at what you don't have or what you could have, focus on who God made you to be. Focus on what God has in store for you, and go forth and pursue it with all of your heart. I'll just give you a quick example here. Did you know that prior to the flood, we're going to look at Noah at the end of the sermon here, but did you know prior to the flood, it did not rain? The climate was steady all of the time. There were not four seasons on planet Earth. After the flood, by the way, we're in the second version of planet Earth. Second version. The flood brought about version number two. Did you know the only reason why we enjoy four seasons is because of sin? This is Earth's plan B, but it's still amazing. You ever sat and looked out and seen a snow-covered valley or snow-covered mountain and thought to yourself, that is breathtaking. You ever ridden up the Merritt Parkway in the fall and seen all the the fall foliage and thought, wow, God, you're amazing. Even if you're in plan B of your life, you're still going to have breathtaking moments where you go, I can't believe I get to experience this. God, you are incredible to me. 
sin's consequences. I do not stand up here this morning with any stones in my hand throwing a single rock at anybody in any state they're in anywhere. I simply stand up here this morning to highlight the fact that sin breaks things. Sin breaks people. How many of you, as I've preached point one, have felt at least some point in your spirit, yeah, I know a little bit about that. Mm, My hand's up. Number two, number two, the Lord's compassion. Look at Genesis chapter 3. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. Look at verse number 15. Here God's doling out punishment to Adam and Eve and the serpent. Look at the punishment that God gives the serpent and in essence gives Satan. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. When Adam and Eve broke God's law, God had to make a choice. Would he let the broken law lead to a broken man who would remain that way? Or would he repair his broken law so that he could repair broken man? Look at verse 21. Unto Adam, and this is foreshadowing, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothed them. Now what happened here? Adam and Eve were naked in the garden, and because they were innocent and they did not know what sin was, uh, they had no idea that nakedness was a problem. They walked around naked and, and, and enjoyed each other. They were married. They loved each other. They were bone of bone and flesh of flesh. And God performed the first marriage ceremony. God uh, uh, made Eve and put them together. And, and, and here they are walking through the Garden of Eden, enjoying each other uh, as a married, and, uh, a married husband and wife in uh, total innocence, not a single marital rub. Amen? Boy, that must have been great. Amen? Not a single one. And then they ate the fruit. And what was the first thing they realized? (gasps) We are stark naked. I don't know if Adam and Eve were hillbillies, but if they were, they would have said, we are stark naked. That's how they said it where I'm from. Amen? Naked. You say, boy, you're naked. Go put some clothes on, right? And what did they do? They sewed together fig leaves and they attempted to cover up their nakedness. But God looked at them and said, that's still pretty immodest. Modesty is important to God. Amen? Amen. By the way, I'm not going to chase this one very far, all right? (laughs) Modesty is not just what you wear on the outside. Modesty is who you are on the inside. If you are dressed in a way that's immodest, it is more than your body that's immodest. Your heart is immodest. If you're dressed modestly outwardly, that's probably a sign that you're a modest person in more ways than just your clothing. Here, Adam and Eve, they realize that they're naked. They sew fig leaves together and God says, I'm going to do you a little better than that. He takes a an animal, probably a lamb, and that animal is sacrificed and the, 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 the wool is taken and they are clothed from that. And what was God saying by sacrificing that animal? 
He was saying, I am making a way. I am making a plan for you to be redeemed. I could just throw you in hell. I could take you and have you sentenced to death the way that I promised uh, before you ate the fruit. But instead, I'm going to take my compassion and I'm going to pour it on you. Psalm chapter 111, verse 4. David says this. He says, He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Psalm 145, 8. David makes the same point again. He says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. God loved you and, and me uh, and all of the rest of His prized creation so much that God chose there in the Garden of Eden to devise a plan to make compassion a reality. A reality that would lead to the salvaging and restoring of the broken creation. God was looking for a way to cancel our brokenness and He has done just that. Quickly, letter A to B. Letter A, notice His requirement. His requirement. Listen, God has made a way to cancel your brokenness, but many people will go through life and their brokenness will never get canceled. Sin will continue to break and smash everything in their life. It will hurt relationships. It will hurt them. It will, it will hurt their emotional state. It will cause them great pain and great destruction. And they will never truly understand the power of God's compassion on their life. Why? Because God places some requirements on me and you for that. Turn over to 1 Kings chapter 8 in verse 46. 1 Kings, make your way over. 1 Kings chapter number 8. Uh, years after God created Adam and Eve, God chose Abraham and his descendants to be the special group by which he would send his son Jesus to the world to die for the sin of mankind. Abraham's descendants by Isaac are named the Israelites. The Israelites. King Solomon would build a mighty temple. Uh, Israeli king Solomon would build a mighty temple so that God could dwell amongst his people. At the dedication of this temple, Solomon prayed a long and powerful prayer. Let's join this prayer of Solomon in verse 46. Look at verse 46 with me. The Bible says, Solomon's praying here, If they sin against thee, for there is no man that sinneth not, and thou be angry with them, and deliver them to the enemy, so that they carry them away captives unto the land of the enemy far or near. Yet if they shall bethink themselves in the land whither they were carried captives, notice here, the requirements for compassion, and repent, and make supplication unto thee in the land of them uh, that carried them captive, saying, we have sinned and have done perversely, we have committed wickedness, and so return unto thee with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of the enemy, which led them away captive, and Pray unto thee uh, toward their land, which thou gavest unto their fathers, the city which thou hast chosen, and the house which I have built for them. Then uh, hear thou their prayer and supplication in heaven, uh, thy dwelling place, and maintain their cause. Look at verse 50. And forgive thy people that have sinned against thee, and all their transgressions wherein they have transgressed against thee. Look at, look at this. And give them compassion before them and carry, uh, who carried them captive, that they may have compassion on them. Now let's look back here at verse number 47 and 48. 
And we'll see here that God places some requirements for that compassion to be realized. What are they? Repentance. Number one, repentance. It's a changing from a mindset of I can do what I want and live however I want and I'm just going to skirt around the punishment and be okay with it. Especially the teenagers. I want you to listen up to me right here. Some adults probably need to hear this too, but especially the teenagers at a young age. Many teenagers think, I don't have to follow the Bible. I can do what I want and live how I want. This does not matter. And you know what? I know the Bible says that I'm going to feel pain and suffer and broken if I, if I don't follow this, but not me. I can do what I want and I will be the exception to the rule. There are no exceptions to the rule. None. Let God be true and every man a liar. You really think that you can do what you want to your way and you can be the final authority in your life and God's authority doesn't matter and God's not somehow going to punish you for that? Oh, my friend, sin will come around and kick you and kick you hard. And it will hurt. It will hurt. I've seen teenagers who think, oh, I can smoke what I want and I can do what I want and I can sleep with who I want and I can be what I want and no one's going to tell me otherwise. I'd like to introduce you to a handful of people I know in their 40s and 50s who had that attitude when they were 18 and now are licking their wounds because sin has kicked them hard in the mouth and they came crawling back. There's no skating around. God set it up. Truth is truth. You can buck it. You can mock it. You can make fun of it. You can put it down. You can call it hate speech. You can label it anything you want, but let God be true and every man a liar. God needs you to tender that heart and repent. What else do we see in 47 and 48, verse 47 and 48? God is looking for you to have a heartfelt emotional prayer. That's what supplication is. It's a heartfelt emotional prayer. It's not the token, Lord, I did wrong, please forgive me, I'm moving on with my day. I've, I've, I've apologized and, and we're good now. No, it's a getting on my knees and truly emotionally getting things right with God. It's an admission of sin. It's I am agreeing with you, God, that my attitudes and actions are wrong. It's a full acceptance of a wicked heart. How many of us in this room this morning understand just how vile and wicked and sinful we truly are? I grip my teeth every time I confess my sin to God. I don't much like looking in the, an actual mirror at myself. I'm glad I got married before my hair fell out. I'm not, this isn't just uh, uh, shallow uh, self-deprecation. I'm serious when I say this. I, I, I don't think that I'm so ugly I scare children. Uh, but I don't necessarily think I'm the greatest looking guy walking planet Earth. Thank you. And I'm married. Amen. I'm glad that um, uh, my wife got LASIK after we were married. After we were married. Amen. I don't like looking at a mirror myself per se. I, I stand in front of the mirror long enough to get myself in order and I move on. 
but I really don't like looking at a spiritual mirror at myself. Because when I look at who I am, I really don't like what I see. I see a wicked, vile sinner who struggles. But it's necessary you and I look in that mirror. The book of James tells us that mirror is the Word of God. Hey, we love to justify our sin. But God wants us to come clean about our sin. God resisteth the proud. But He giveth grace to the humble. You come to God with this proud, arrogant attitude of, I know what's best, I'm my own authority, I'll do what I want, when I want, my sin's not that bad, everyone else sins, and you justify, justify, justify. God resists the proud. Letter A is requirement. Letter B, we see our redemption. Turn over to Matthew chapter 18 in your Bibles. Matthew 18. What does it mean to be redeemed? It means that your sin debt has been forgiven. It means that your eternal brokenness has been canceled. Each and every day I battle my flesh. Each and every day I watch my sin or the sin of others break things to the degree that I'm able to live by God's grace and let it flow into me and through me on others. I watch this brokenness slowly but surely get canceled right before my eyes. One day our sin debt will be totally canceled. Let's see this in action with the parable Jesus told in the New Testament. Matthew 18, look at verse number 23. Verse 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king which had taken account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. This is an insurmountable amount of money for this man. Before as much as he had not to pay... His Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children to all that he had in in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience on me and I will pay thee all. Now what do we see in verse 26 out of this man? We see humility. We see a heartfelt uh, emotional prayer. We see a a repentance in his attitude. Uh, We see all of the things that Solomon had laid out uh, back in in 1 Kings. We see all of those laid out in this man here. He's throwing himself before the throne. He's begging for mercy. He's begging for more time so his family does not get sold into debtor's prison up against his debt. Look at verse 27. The requirement's been met. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion. And loosed him and forgave him the debt. Wow. You see how this works? This man was redeemed. Now, it was short-lived. You read down further and you see that this man could not pass on that same redemption to a a fellow buddy who owed him a little bit of money. and, And the redemption ended up getting taken away from this particular gentleman. But in this moment, at this spot, this man has met all the requirements and God has redeemed him. Listen, there was a day in my life, I was a small child. I came to the throne of grace. I looked in my heart and I saw my wickedness and my sin. I realized that I was broken in every way. I repented from an attitude of believing I could get to heaven on my own or through some set of good works. And I bowed my knee and I humbled my heart and I called out to God and I threw myself before His mercies and I said, I'm a sinner. I'm on my way to hell. I need your compassion to forgive me. You know what? I met the requirements and I realized the redemption. Have you had that time? Have you had that time in your heart and life? 
where you realize how broken and sinful and wicked you are. You see, as humanity, we want to put our eyes on the good things we do and we want to uh, minimize the bad things we do. But the reality is God sees it all. God needs you with a heart of humility to come into His presence and say to Him, I am a wretch. I am broken. And I need your grace. I need your compassion. And when you meet the requirements, redemption is realized. Redemption is realized. If you're here today and you've never humbled your heart and put your faith in Jesus by prayer and called on Him, boy, make that day today. Why is it that we should work for God? Why is it that that heart for God grows so warm and and, and passionate about God and His Word and His work and, and we want to get after it? Because, boy, we realize just how much God loved us. Before I move on to number three, there's one more little thing I want to just emphasize here. I think it's so vital to driving the truth home. How much did it cost God in order to redeem you? You know the answer, don't you? Part of our sin nature is how entitled we are. I did not have an appreciation for the sacrifices my parents made when I was 16, 17, 18 years old. I didn't. I just assumed the roof would be over my head, the food would be on the table, that mom and dad were going to be together. I didn't realize that marriage is hard work. I didn't realize that parenting is hard work. I didn't realize that being a provider is hard work. I just shrugged my shoulders and you know what? When my mom and dad told me to wash the dishes, I'd complain, if not outwardly, inwardly. When my dad would tell me on his way out the door to go to work to cut the lawn during the summer, I had a little attitude. Now that I'm a parent, and I'm the one making those sacrifices, I can see where entitlement comes from. You and I in our head, we know the tremendous sacrifice the Lord Jesus made. But I think sometimes as Christians, we become entitled. We just, okay, yeah, yeah, Jesus died for me on the cross. And it no longer moves us to tears, it no longer prods us to service. We just go through life making our money, living our American dream, uh, 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 driving our cars, wearing our clothes, buying our new electronics. Nothing wrong with those things, but we get so distracted on that, and yeah, I'm saved. Oh my, the work, the effort, the bankruptcy of heaven for you to even be saved. And God could have looked at Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and said, well, that, was, that experiment failed, throw them in hell, let's start over again. But he didn't. He 
He looked at Adam and Eve and he said, Yes, they messed up. Yes, they chose sin. Yes, they stymied themselves. Yes, they're broken. But I love them so much that I'm going to take my only begotten son and I'm going to send him to the cross and I'm going to have him die up there so that they can have their cancel or their brokenness canceled. That is the motivator for why we work. That is the motivator for why we serve God. Because God loved us so much that He poured down a love that I will never be able to understand or explain. I look at God's love and I say, I, I don't know why you would do that. I can't ever imagine myself taking my son and sending him to death row to be tortured and murdered to set some criminal free. And that's exactly what God did for us. Oh, we are so indebted to this God, but we act so entitled. God has, has redeemed us through His mercy, through His compassion. We see sin's consequences. We see the Lord's compassion. Let's finish out the message this morning. Number three, we see the redeemed's calling. The redeemed's calling. Going all the way back to Genesis, we can see how those who have profoundly experienced the compassion of God respond to Him. What do they do? What do they do? They give their heart to the Lord. They give the Lord all of their heart. They live different than the world around them. They experience God in a completely different way. Letter A, notice, they walk with God. They walk with God. Look at Genesis chapter 5 with me and Genesis chapter 6. We're going to look at two chapters here quickly. Genesis 5 and look at verse number 21. Enoch realized the salvation of the Lord. And for those of you here that would say, how did they know? Well, look, you can go back to the first book that was ever written in the Bible. That's the book of Job. And Job knew who his Redeemer was. In fact, Job would say in the book of Job, I know my Redeemer liveth. Salvation was realized by Enoch. Salvation, uh, uh, Enoch looked forward to a day a Messiah would come and die for his sins. And Enoch was forgiven of his sins just like me and you are. We look back at the cross. He looked forward to a day where the cross would be. And, 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 and Enoch was a believer in the Lord and had a strong faith in God. And as a result of that redeem, redeem, redeeming work in his life, uh, Enoch was devoted to walk with God. Look at verse 21. And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years and begat sons and daughters. Look at 23. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred and sixty-five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Wow. You have... You have Enoch going on a long walk one day. He's walking with God. He's communing in prayer. Uh, he's fellowshipping with God. The Bible had not been written yet, so it's just him and the Lord. And, and him and the Lord are communing and talking one with the other. And, and God looks at Enoch and says, Enoch, you're far enough away from home, and you're close enough to my home. You know what? I'm just going to go ahead and bring you up here with me. That's a close walk right there. Right? Wouldn't that be great one day you go on a prayer walk and, and, and God just says, come on home. Yes. And he doesn't kill you, you know, you just, okay, you just, you're walking. The next thing you know, you're just ascending up into the heavens and you're gone. After my wife as, you know, after my wife is, my wife and I have enjoyed a long marriage and she's made it well into her 70s or 80s and she's died and my kids are married off and doing great and I'm an old man. If God wants to do that for me, sign me up. Amen. That's about where Methuselah was, or rather Enoch was. 
We see, the, we see that people who are redeemed, they walk with God. By the way, they don't have to be told to walk with God. Because they're redeemed, they can't help but walk with God. Letter B, they work for God. They work for God. One chapter over, Genesis 6. We're bringing the plane in for landing. Luke chapter 6, look at verse 5. And God saw the wickedness of man. That, that, uh, rather, let me back up. And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. That every imagination and the thought of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. And grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man from whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the earth. For it repenteth me that I have made them. Verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Look down to verse 13. Here you have Noah who is a redeemed man. He's humbled his heart. He's realized the salvation. Verse 13, this man who's been redeemed, and God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. You know what God had called him to do? God had called this redeemed man to get to work. Everybody look up here. Do you know why you're alive today? Because redeemed out, or redeemed Noah obeyed God's calling on his life. You understand that? Had, had Noah shrugged his shoulders and said, Nah, I don't feel like it. I'm going to live my life the way I want. The flood would have wiped him out too. There would be no more humanity. You and I are here. Because Noah was redeemed, Noah got to work. Tonight, I'm going to talk about this in greater depth. My morning and evening sermon come from two different places, but are going to fit together hand in glove. So I'm going to promo tonight's sermon this way. We make a mistake when we look around at other people, and we see a set of talents they have. We see, we see a privilege in life they've been given that maybe we didn't get. We look at other people and we realize, well, if I had that, or I was able to do this, or I had this background, or I was born here, or if I had this going for me, then I could fill in the blank. No, 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 no. God made you, you. He's given you a set of talents and abilities, and spiritual gifts, and He has a work for you to do. What's the catalyst? What's the motivator? Realizing the compassion of God in your life. When you realize that His mercies are new every morning, boy, great is His faithfulness. That should motivate you to find a work and get with it. Let me speak to our senior citizens this morning. Whether or not you're young and active or older and nearing the end, God has a plan for your life. There's still something for you to do. God has left you here for a work. Find it and get busy doing it. Amen? Young people get distracted with work and busyness of life, family, schedule. Older people have health issues. All of us have an excuse. Boy, let's not make an excuse. Let's make a way. Amen? The love of God ought to motivate us. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning.
cancelness, our broken, brokenness canceled rather, our brokenness canceled. With your heads about nice closed this morning, I just want to say this sermon for me this week was very, very difficult to write. Talking about broken, we talked about broken feelings a little bit ago. I had a tough week emotionally. I don't know why. I, I, I've not been able to put my finger on why other than I live in a sin-ridden body in a sin-cursed world. I've had this thought all week, how can I write about brokenness being canceled when I feel so broken? But my friend, God has canceled my eternal brokenness. One day I'll never have to fight this flesh ever again. I'll live in the presence of Jesus forever. Not because I'm a good person, but because Jesus died for me. And I humbled my heart and I accepted that. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a time in my life I put my faith in Jesus. I know I'm going to heaven, not because I'm a good person, but because Jesus died for me. And I've come to him and accepted his gift of eternal life. I've accepted his compassion. That's your testimony. Would you just slip up your hand right where you are? I know I'm going to heaven. I've put my faith in Jesus. You can put your hand down. Not every hand was raised. If you didn't raise your hand, I appreciate your honesty. But before me, you, and God, and me, and you, and God only, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus to be your personal Savior, what are you waiting for? How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, I do not know if I were to die, I'd go to heaven. I don't know that my brokenness has been canceled. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you just slip up your hand right where you are? Is there one? I don't know. I'm just not sure. I'm looking around. I don't see any hands. If you have not made that decision to trust Christ, please do so before the end of today. Please do so before you leave this property. How many of you here today would say, Pastor, I've either been doing the work of God for the wrong reason or I've not been doing the work of God at all. Pastor, pray for me that his love will be the catalyst. His compassion will be the motivator by which I serve my King and my Savior. Pastor, pray for me. Here's my hand. I need to serve God with my life. I need to get busy. I need to do it for the right reasons. After all he's done for me, I can live for him. Lord, help us this morning to take what we've heard and put it to practice. Thank you for the Bible. Lord, uh, help us to live by it in Jesus' name.